What do you see? You say, I see some eyes. What do those eyes see? What kind of perception do you have? If you'll permit me for just a couple of minutes, I want to use a couple of graphics that will make us think. Perception. A couple years ago, there was a furor that took place on the television screens, on the internet, asking the question, what color is this dress? When I see it, I see gold and white. Some people, when they see it, see black and blue. The truth is, it is gold and blue. The problem is, is that many times this is one of those things that trick our eyes and the colors make us see things a little differently. If you are standing at a distance and you see something at a far distance, which may be incredibly tall, but you're closer to the perception, then you do not get a full understanding and you do not get a correct idea of the size of things, such as the case with the picture of these folks with the pyramid. Now, I want to step back and ask the question, does perception and perspective matter in spiritual things? As you and I open our eyes and we go to the Bible, does it matter how we see things and that we see them properly? The truth is, some people just don't understand. You know, our Lord, in Matthew chapter 13, began a section here in His great ministry using parables. In fact, just like what I have done, used a couple things that you have seen, you have known, and to make an application from them. Matthew's record says, Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And he goes on to say that they fulfilled Isaiah's prophecy. He continues on through verse 17 by saying, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Does it matter what you and I see and perceive and the perspective from which we view things. When we get to the Bible, some things have greater significance than we occasionally understand. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 7 through 9, he said, What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. But I say, what did you go out to see? A prophet, yes, and I say to you, much more than a prophet. When you see John the Baptist, is he a prophet? Most certainly he is, but, oh, he's so much more. He is the one who was chosen by God to prepare the way not only for the Savior, but for His kingdom as well. Sometimes we don't fully grasp, we don't fully see what all the Lord intended for us to see. That leads me to the text that Brother Dale read just a few moments ago. 
the healing of the blind man. So many details of this are so interesting to understand. He's coming near Jericho. In fact, old Jericho has just been passed. Now he's coming into new Jericho. There's a certain blind man sitting by the road. And we know from Matthew and Mark's account that there were actually two of them. We know that one of them's name was Bartimaeus. Hearing the multitude pass by, they told him it was Jesus. And what does he do? He cries out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. When you read this, I'm sure that some of you see. What did you see? You see a miracle worked by our Lord. You see a great event taking place for a man who could not see and now is able to see. But there's more than that. In fact, if you look up just earlier in the context, you'll see in verses 18 through 25, the rich ruler. And you will see something in contrast here because it says a certain ruler asked him saying, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? The Lord tells him to keep the commandments and he responds in verse 21, all these things I have kept from my youth. Lord said, you want to be perfect? Go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor and then you'll have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. When he heard this, he became very sorrowful for he was very rich. You see, the truth is, is that the blind men saw their need for mercy. They were poor. They were begging. And they understood, here is one who is able to Save me. And what did the rich man see? The rich man saw himself much differently. In fact, I don't really have any needs. All these things I have kept from my youth. I have plenty of riches. This reminds a person of what was said to the church at Laodicea. In Revelation chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, he said, Because you say, I am rich and have gotten riches, or have gotten wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do you not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked? He said, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire that you may become rich, white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. You see, what do I see when I read Luke 18? I see a rich man who thought that he needed nothing, who approached the Lord thinking the Lord's going to pat him on the back. In contrast, I see a blind man who's calling out to Jesus saying, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. What do you see? How do you see yourself? Verse 41 is, in my judgment, a very important verse. When the Lord asks, what do you want? I want to receive my sight. It's interesting, the original word for receive means to regain. It carries with it the idea of again. I want to see again. 
I want to regain my sight. He understood there's something he once had and he's lost it. You know, John 9 pictures a man who was born blind. But evidently this man here in Luke 18 had seen once upon a time, but now he's not seeing anymore. There's so many valuable lessons, but here's what I want us to do for the next few minutes. I want to ask the question, what do you see when you see others? What do you see when you see yourself? What do you see when you look at the future? Let's begin our study. Isn't it surprising, like that photo that I showed you of the pyramids of Giza, that when you're looking at one perspective, that appears so small, and yet in another perspective, if you're standing at the foot of that pyramid, it's huge. Isn't it surprising how much bigger other people's sins look to us? Matthew 7, verses 1 through 4, you're familiar where the Lord says, Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with what measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And then he says, And why do you consider the speck that is in your brother's eye, and do not consider the plank in your own eye? Isn't it amazing that a speck of sawdust in our brother's eye looks much bigger than the plank in our own eye? John 8, there's a woman who was taken in adultery in the very act. You might think that when you read that, that they're really concerned about this woman and they're concerned about the purity of God's people and they need to discipline this woman in the sense of taking her life. And yet when you read, it said the Lord came early in the morning to the temple and all the people came to him. He sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And they, when they had set her in his midst, they said, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very, in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded that such should be stoned. But what do you say? They said this, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. We learn they're not interested in the woman. They're not interested in the law. They're interested in trying to entrap Jesus. Isn't it amazing? They don't see their own hypocrisy here. We're not interested in truth. We're interested in scoring points. Sometimes when we look at others, Are we showing compassion for the lostness of their soul or are we worried more about trying to make them look bad? We tend to look more harshly at others because we feel if we highlight their sins, that makes us look better. It doesn't. And sometimes we are doing the very same things that we see other people do and criticize them for. In Romans chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, Paul says, Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you who judge another for, in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself, for you practice the same things. The Jewish man was looking at the Gentile and was like, Look how ungodly that Gentile man is. 
and doing the same things that they were doing. You remember 2 Samuel chapter 12? God sent the prophet Nathan to David. He told David a scenario as if it were real. He said, there's this man, had one little ewe lamb, and that's all he had, very close to it. Here comes a rich man, and he has people visiting with him, and he goes and he takes that one man's ewe lamb. When David hears the description of this, we learn his anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the the man who has done this shall surely die. Verse 7, then Nathan said to David, you are the man. David was ready to take the life of that man. And Nathan said, David, I'm describing you. Matthew chapter 18, verses 23 and 24. You remember the parable of the unrighteous steward? The man who had been wasting his master's goods, and, or not this case, wasting his goods, but this man here who owed his master a tremendous amount of money, he begged his master, he forgave him. What does he do after he leaves his master? He goes out and finds one of his fellow servants. He tells him to pay me what you owe. He begged him just like he had begged his master. He would not throw him into prison till he should pay all that debt. Verse 33, the master said, Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? Sometimes we're more harsh with others than we are with ourselves. And when we do, we erroneously make ourselves a standard. Everybody is judged by the way I see myself. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, We dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves But they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. We never want to be like that elder brother who, when his brother came home, rather than rejoicing that he was alive, he sat outside and sulked because he thought himself better than his brother. Now let's look at ourselves. Isn't it surprising that as large as we see the sins of others, when we look at ourselves, our sins appear to be incredibly small. For every sin that we commit, every lie that we may tell, everything that we may do, we tend to say there's a reason for it, a justification. When you go to 1 Kings 16, verse 31... Ahab is the king. And the record of his life says that it came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebath, and he took the wife as, or asked wife, Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbel, the king of Sidonians, and he went and served Baal and worshipped him. 
Ahab thought it's no big deal to sin against God. Trivial thing. The world often mocks the idea of sin. Oh, it's not that big of a deal. The book of Proverbs chapter 14 verse 9, Fools mock at sin, but among the upright there is favor. Proverbs 10 and verse 23, To do evil is like sport to a fool, but a man of understanding has wisdom. Proverbs 26 verse 18, Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. To him, it's no big deal. If I lie to him, if I steal from him, if I miss him, oh, it's no big deal. That's the way many times we look at ourselves. And when we compare ourselves with others, we walk away feeling, look how bad they are, look how good I am. You remember Jesus gave the scenario that two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. He goes on to say, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat himself on the breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Perception. I'm so good. My sins are so small. God must certainly be happy to have me. The Bible warns us against deceiving ourselves. Galatians 6, 7 and 8. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, that will he also reap. We need to understand that it's easy to deceive ourselves. Hebrews 3 verse 13 says, he says to exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. But we're always rationalizing. I've got an excuse for why I do what I have done. I've had husbands and wives come and sit and say, we need to talk, we've got a problem one or the other will say, I've committed adultery. And almost immediately, the rationalization will be, but there's been a lack of affection on their part. They didn't love me like I thought they should, and so I had a right to go and seek love from someone else. No, you didn't. It was a choice you made. But I've got to rationalize what I've done. Liars will say, I didn't want to hurt their feelings. I didn't want to tell them the truth. Oh, how we often minimize. How do we see? What do you see when you look at yourself? For just a few minutes, what do you see with the future? I'm going to tell you, it's easy for us to get stuck in the present day and not look at tomorrow. Oh, today has a lot of problems in it. A lot of trials, a lot of difficulties. 
I don't have time to think about the future. All the day has a lot of blessings in it. Has a lot of things that are good and I'm going to enjoy today. I'm not going to think about tomorrow. Or our hands are full. We don't think about tomorrow because we're so busy living today. Now there's a sense in which that is important and true, but there's a sense in which you and I need to be planning for the future. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, or chapter 4, excuse me, verse 16, Paul is looking at Christians who are suffering, who are going through some physical maladies, whether it is the result of persecution or whether it's the result of natural causes. I don't know. I've got an opinion on it. But he begins with verse 16 by saying, Therefore we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet our inward man is being renewed day by day. He then talks about things that are temporary versus things that are permanent. Things that are seen and things which are not seen. You get to verse 1 of chapter 5. For we know that if our earthly house is dissolved, this tent, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. What is he saying? You know, you look at your life here, don't give up, don't lose heart. There's something better out there for the faithful child of God. You go to Psalm 73. Verses 1 through 17 is such an amazing passage. I'm just going to pull a couple of verses out of it here. You go to verses 1 through 3. Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I'm looking about me and I can see money, 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 money. I can see blessings and possessions. And that seems like that's everything I ought to be living for. To be envious of the boastful. But when you get to verse 15. If I had said I will speak thus. I would have been untrue to a generation of your children. If I had said that's what it's all about. Go get all the pleasure, the money, the joys of life. He said that would have been untrue. When I thought how to understand this. It was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God and then I understood their latter end. What do you see when you see the future? Well, I see all this, the blessings that are here. Don't forget, there's a greater blessing that awaits. Jeremiah was dealing with the children of Israel who he was having to rebuke for their sinful ways, telling them what they were about to encounter. They're going to be carried into captivity. They're going to be held there for a period of 70 years. 
then God's going to bring them back. You tell somebody 70 years, oh, that's past a lifetime. But then you listen to what he said in chapter 29, verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Chapter 31, verse 17. There is hope in your future, says the Lord, that your children shall come back to their own border. God says, I know that things are bad today, but I have a desire that they be better. Some people here are going through a number of different struggles in your life. Some of you are struggling physically. There's disease that's in your life. There's sadness. There's sorrow that goes along with that. Some of you are doing really well. There's a lot of prosperity in your life. And it's easy to be focused on the good things that you have enjoyed in this world and the things that go along with it. And there's some of you not looking at the future. When you open your eyes, what do you see in the future? What does it hold for you? Sometimes we fail to see the potential that is before us right now. John 4 verse 35, Jesus said, Do not say there's four months and then comes the harvest, but I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they're already white for harvest. John 9, 4, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day for the night is coming in which no man can work. What is he saying? Don't look and say, well, later on I'll do something about it. No, you do it today. Don't say there's four months. Some of you young people sitting here are thinking, I know what I need to do. I know I need to become a Christian. But you put it off and you're thinking, there'll be time in the future for that. John, or excuse me, Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 10 says, Whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your might. Your future is important because it's eternal. We ought to love ourselves and we ought to love one another enough to have the right view, the proper perspective of sin in both ourselves and in others. And we ought to have the proper perspective of the future. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction. But others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Jude, verses 21 through 23. We have an opportunity to do something about it now. What do you see? What do you see in others? What do you see in yourself? What do you see in the future? The Song of Invitation is number 337. 
Is thy heart right with God? If you're not a Christian, you want to become one, we'll baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit for the remission of your sins. Just come to the front up here. We'll allow you to make the good confession. And then you know that you can leave this place with your sins washed away. Are you a child of God who's, who's struggling with sin in your life and you know, I just need to be like that blind man sitting at the gate of Jericho, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Would you come while together we stand and sing?